Welcome to the Scuffed Podcast. I'm Adam Bells in Minneapolis. With me is Greg Velasquez in Des Moines. We talk about U.S. men's soccer. A lot has happened over the past couple weeks in American soccer, so we're just going to take it on piece by piece and try not to get too bogged down. You ready, Greg? Sure, Bells. Good luck not getting bogged down with me on the podcast. <laughs> I mean, same goes for me. I'm, my middle name is bogged down. Um, Burhalter, Greg Burhalter, introduced as the new head coach the Monday after Thanksgiving. Long awaited, unsurprising, still good to have it settled. Everybody's given their takes. We're probably the last ones to the table on this. What, do, what are your initial thoughts and what do you want to like kind of hone in on? It's like a complete sort of hitting the reset button now. The Saracen era was was cool for about two windows, and then it got unbearable. Yeah. Um, and and we've definitely, in my mind, the, the reset button has been hit. And I just want to be able to overanalyze and overinterpret every decision that Burhalter makes from here on out. Can't wait! It's going to be awesome to do all that analysis. So I, I guess I'll say the thing that sticks out to me is I like the way he talks about soccer. He he was probably more detailed in his description of what he wants to do with the team than, you know, definitely than Bruce Arena or Dave Sarakin was. He Jurgen seemed, Klinsmann. Yeah, Jurgen Klinsmann. Seemed, he seemed willing to get into detail, especially in that interview with the MLS guys, Warshaw, Doyle, uh, Weeby at Extra Time Radio. So I guess the question, one question is, and it's a question that's going around, is can Burhalter, with the talent at his disposal, put together a team that's capable of moving the ball around and quote-unquote disorganizing the opponent? You want to know if I think that's, that's possible? Yes. I 100% think that's possible. I think, it's, I think it's a bit ridiculous to say it's not. Everyone jumps straight to, we're never going to be able to do that against the best teams in the world. And it's like, so what? <laughs> We only play the best teams of the world every four years in the World Cup. Uh, and even then, in the group stage, you're likely not looking at, you're not going to be in the same group as Brazil and Spain and Italy. So like you know, two, yeah. out of, two out of your three group games, you'll be able to do what you... Yeah, one of them, you might, one of those games, you'll probably be the better team and you need to make sure you win that game. The, the other two, you, you know, you're, you're fighting for, you're trying to scrape one or maybe two other points from so you advance just to manage your group. Uh, and then it's knockouts, and you're uh, you're the underdog probably immediately if you're the U.S. or you have been historically. Uh, so it's it's still going to be about trying to maximize your low winning percentage or your advancing percentage. But the other three years out of the cycle, out of the World Cup cycle, you often will be the favorite. You often will be the better team in your games, uh, and we need a coach who's able to exploit that advantage. And I don't think that we saw that. Uh, very often over the last, honestly, even in the Bob Bradley era, we didn't see that very often. And and I, I have a lot of respect for Bob Bradley, and I know Bob Bradley knows how to set up a team. Uh, and maybe there were limitations in the player pool then too. Um, but I think that Burhalter's plan is to do what Jurgen Klinsmann came on uh, sort of claiming he was going to do, but never really had a, a sense of how to put it into action. Okay. Yeah, I agree. I mean... Uh, in as much as I have the expertise to agree, which is that's a tenuous proposition, uh, I agree. He can go down like we should be able to go to Panama 
and control the game against Panama. I know everyone, we've, we've kind of built in this, it's really hard to go on the road in CONCACAF, but I just feel like we've started to believe that too much uh, to the point where we don't even try to implement our, our style on the road in CONCACAF qualifying. And that's what I'm really hoping, that's honestly the big thing that I want to see be different. That's the That for me is going to end up being the telltale sign of whether Berhalter's system is working or not. Yeah, it'll be it'll be really really fun to see those games on the road in Concacaf. I guess that'll be what late twenty one, early twenty two. Assuming qualifying follows the same uh, format, and I don't think I they've announced any changes to it, or maybe it's already set. I don't know. We'll have to have our uh, interns check that out. But <laughs> there's the preliminary. Those are there's the preliminary rounds, and we didn't we never even looked good in those on the road. I mean, Klinsman had that group and. Uh, uh, we were we were going into like the fifth of of eight games and looking uh, like fifty fifty to get out of that qualifying round. So we'll get a little taste of it even in the early stages of qualifying because that has not been a cakewalk for us even even against the minnows. Yeah, Concacaf Nations League that starts next yes. fall. Right. All right. More to more immediate. Matters. Burhalter is making a European tour as we speak, or so we've heard. Let's get into the mind of the player pool. You've got a you've got a little rubric you've been working on here. Yeah, I'm really I'm really interested in this sort of hypothetical uh, brain game where this reset button that we've hit with Burhalter applies to almost everybody in the pool. Uh, I just feel like there are very few guys who can say, "All right, Burhalter's the coach." Well, I know I'm still safe. Uh, I know I'm, my position isn't really in jeopardy or, or in doubt. So in my mind, and you tell me if I'm wrong, Bells, the only person who is like, I am still in the starting lineup, no matter who, no matter what is Christian Pulisic. Um, yeah, with, with a hundred percent certainty, I guess you could say that. Give me, give me your next guys who you think are like, all right, but I'm surely I'm still in the starting lineup. I know Adams is going to be kind of down, far down on this list for you, but I just think Adams is so much of an asset that it's hard to imagine a starting 11 in an important game without him in it. Same with McKenney for me. And I know there are reasons that they, they're not as safe as Pulisic, but it's just really tough to imagine any of those three guys not being in the starting lineup. And then, you know, the center backs, Brooks and Brooks and Miazga. Pulisic is so far ahead of the sort of the next guy in the anywhere in the attack, whether Pulisic's a winger or whether he's the 10, uh, whatever role he's going to play. Like, he is so much more dangerous than anyone else we have uh, that he's on the, on the field. I think you're, you're probably right about Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney, uh, but for each of them, you kind of run into a couple of different issues. With McKinney... He could fall victim to like a uh, like a one one essentially like a central midfield musical chair situation where early on at least he loses out to like a wheel trap. So for McKenny, I think there is a little bit of competition for a spot, and it wouldn't just have to be wheel trap either. It could be like a Darlington Nagby or a Michael Bradley who could con- conceivably keep Weston McKenny off of the field. Yeah, I suppose and, that's true. And then with Tyler Adams, I feel like there's going to be he and a few other guys. Uh, you and I don't believe this, but plenty of people, as we've as we've kind of already discussed, 
think there might end up being like a first team. You're either if you're not playing for the first team, you shouldn't be called up. And these are reasonable, intelligent people. So it's possible that Burhalter subs- could subscribe to this view. Uh, and there's no guarantee that Tyler Adams is going to be in the first team starting in January. Yeah, with Red Leipzig. I think the the smart money is him is on him not being uh, an immediate starter for RB Leipzig. So, well, one, I'll take that bet. But two, uh, it just it, there's just question marks surrounding Adams and his club situation, and I think he's just sort of ha- he then has to wonder what that would mean for his immediate uh, place in the U.S. national team. Okay. All right. My 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 next. So after Pulisic, I feel like the safest guys most likely would be like a John Anthony Brooks and DeAndre Yedlin, because uh, they're the guys who are. No, their club situation isn't in doubt. They're they're locked on starters for their club teams at playing in the highest uh, competition they can play in. Mm-hmm. Um, it, so then it just comes down to is is there a little bit of competition for their spots or are they the right kind of player? But I think probably Brooks and Yedlin are pretty safe as well in the starting eleven. Yeah, in a in a must win game if both are healthy, I think that's I think that's a safe bet too. Yeah, in the, in the March camp, if Berhalter's calling up the best possible players he can, I think Brooks and Yedlin feel like they're going to be starting. Um, but then, we, I mean, we kind of already have talked about McKenney. Uh, if you're if you're thinking thinking about who's going to be the forward in a Greg Berhalter four two three one, uh, I know Bobby Woods uh, playing in the Bundesliga, but Josh Sargent is right next right there with him, and we don't know how Josie Altador is going to. Uh, sort of fit into Berhalter's plans. So that's that's three guys who all sort of would have a claim to the starting spot. Um, and I don't know how you, I don't know how any of them could feel like they are for sure going to be the guy. Yeah. I mean, especially if Sargent continues to get minutes for Verder, then, uh, then it really complicates it because I, because would, would probably would have been considered the, the starter if, if Sargent weren't um, coming on strong. Yeah. Well, Wood, Wood's got to wonder. Wood has to wonder what role Altidore is going to have in, the, in this coming cycle, whether he's he's gone by the wayside in U.S. soccer's eyes or whether he's still uh, the number one guy the way he was for the past 10-plus years. I, uh, I doubt he's gone by the wayside, don't you? I, I don't think so either. I think 27. Wood, Altidore, Sargent is a solid forward depth chart for us for the moment um, with none with none of them being the default guy and I think that's the thing they all have to sort of sit there and wonder uh, so that, that leaves that's three pretty good players who aren't going to be sure where they stand uh, I think left back we're looking at something similar where I don't think anyone can feel really strongly about their chances of being the number one left back uh, in March mm-hmm. who, what, between Robinson Viafania. Ben Sweat. Are, ben Sweat. <laughs> well, Shaq Moore came in and, and had a respectable outing at left back. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly no one's no one's put their stamp on it. Uh, goalkeeper, kind of the same thing. It could be Stefan. Uh, he's sort of everyone's favorite, but Guzan and Horvath have definitely done things recently to be in the conversation. Absolutely. That, that race has become much more interesting in the last month or so. And and it's good that it's gotten more interesting without Stefan having a bunch of uh, howlers. It's interesting in the good way, where I don't think we 
really be uh, disappointed to see any of those names on the starting lineup uh, sheet in the Gold Cup. Nope, I wouldn't. What's your okay. next? What's your next category? Then no, then we get the uh, all these guys who are sort of in that club limbo where it's Matt Miazga, Tim Weah, uh, Tyler Adams, and Sargent could still be in in that camp, and then even Zach Steffen after his move to Man City slash Nakbreda slash Corona. <laughs> where I don't I don't know where he's going back to Columbus on loan. Uh, we we don't I, again. I don't think it makes sense to have a. a like a dogmatic, you have to be playing with your first team. But if that's if that's a Burhalter rule, um, those guys could be in those guys could be in jeopardy for their places. Yep. Yeah, Miazga's situation is desperate. If, I think it's fair to say at this point. And Miazga himself made it sound like uh, there's not going to be some emergency January recall from. Chelsea and then a, a new loan situation. He makes it sound like, and I know he he wouldn't necessarily be frank about that, even if that were the case. But uh, it's not unthinkable that he'll just stay, stick it out at not, and lose basically the rest of the season to the reserve team. Yikes! Yeah. What's the next category? All right. So then you get guys who are just straight up unsure of where they stand, even in the prior uh, sort of Sarakin era, and that'd be like Reggie Cannon. Uh, Jonathan Amon, Kellen Acosta, uh, Aaron Long, uh, some of the other MLS guys like Paul Ariola, Russell Knauss. Um I don't think any of them will be like, oh, I'm sh- I'm for sure getting the. These guys might not even be sure where they're going to stand in the getting call ups, not just being in the starting eleven. Yeah, you can imagine Cannon, uh, Acosta, Long, Knauss, and Ariola will get called up in January if their uh, clubs make them available. But beyond that, I, I would agree they're they're a little bit uncertain. Cannon probably the least uncertain of them all, given our problems at right back and his history of call ups. Yeah, and I know you you, you have this thing about problems at right back, but DeAndre Yedlin is a is a, certainly a serviceable uh, right back. I think Cannon has a has a real good future for us at right back, but there's no immediate emergency for us to to solve it right back for me. I don't know, man. Yedlin had a rough one on over the weekend yesterday, but yeah, he's playing on like a, a bottom half mid table premier league team. They're going to have, a, he's going to have a lot of rough ones. Yeah. Okay. Next right. category. Next right. category. Then you, have, then you have, yeah, then you have, you got some, you're just sort of your old guys who don't know where they stand. And that's going to be Michael Bradley uh, Darlington Nagby's not necessarily old, but he's just been a question mark for his entire uh, U.S. men's national team eligible existence. Uh, Matt Beasler, like, does, is he going to be a guy that we rely on in January or even further down the road? Uh, Tim Ream is playing for Fulham, and you just have, have no idea. Like, we don't know what Burhalter's policy is going to be. He's sort of alluded to where he, uh, for the older older generation that he'll look at where they might be in 2022 and work backward, um, which I think sounds like the smart plan, but I don't know what that's going to look like in practice. Uh, mm-hmm. So th- those guys are all going to be sort of sitting by the phone wondering if it's going to ring or not. Yeah. I think Beasler. I wouldn't hate to see Beasler. You know, I, th- I would say he's one of the few players in the World Cup qualifying disaster who didn't uh, come away with egg on his face. And, you know, he's got, what has he been in two World Cups now? Uh, he's 
he's uh he's good he's a good left center back and I wouldn't hate to see him. Yeah, and we'll get we'll get kind of get into this, but like uh well we'll, we'll I'll, I'll save the January uh, interpretations for our for our little January discussion, but uh yeah you could see Beasler having a, a role to play short term and and not even that's there's no guarantee that I mean he's what 31 he could he could still be playing at a high enough level in 2022 certainly through qualifying at the very least yeah he'll be he'll be pretty old by the time cutter rolls around but but at least through through qualifying be a serviceable backup because the uh, then the next category includes a couple of guys who i think a lot of people have put their hope in at center back but for whom club situations are not panning out at the moment yeah so these other guys who weren't necessarily our first uh, string players who are in club limbo, but are sort of on the fringes already and now in club limbo. And that'd be uh, Cameron Carter Vickers, Eric Palmer Brown, Shaq Moore uh, is getting spot minutes at CF Royce. Uh, we, we just don't know. I mean, when you're on the fringe and you're not getting playing time, that's completely different than if you're Christian Pulisic and you end up buried on the bench at Chelsea. Uh, these guys really need to be, showcasing themselves to make that statement that they belong. Um, so they could really have a hard time breaking through if they're, if they're stuck in bad club situations. Yeah. Of the three more is the one for whom the trajectory is going in the right direction, but he's also the one playing in uh, second division Spain. So, so yeah. anyway, it's just, yeah. it's just this, it's this kind of, uh, it has to be a, an anxious time for a lot of players in the pool because the games are definitely starting to matter. The, the, the experimental uh, window has, has essentially slammed shut. March is going to have to be the, the team Berhalter wants to play in gold cup. And then June will be the, the real deal. So uh, yeah, nervous, nervous times for some of these guys. Yeah. You wonder how much they care about it right now, or if they're mostly, just preoccupied with their club situations and and doing the best they can on that front. Wes McKenney's sitting there worried about the Gold Cup when he's playing in a Champions League game this week. Yeah, right. January camp is coming up in about a month and friendlies against Panama on January 27 and Costa Rica on February 2nd. Two good CONCACAF opponents for Burhalter's first games. What should we expect from this camp? Uh, I, again, I think we're, what we can expect is uh, a terrible amount of over-interpretation of Burhalter's choices. Yeah, we'll be, we'll be heavily involved in that. So there's the possibility that MLS teams in the CONCACAF Champions League will not release their players for this camp, and that, that puts a pretty big dent in the player pool. Those teams are Atlanta, Red Bulls, Sporting KC, Toronto, and Houston. And, you know, just off the top of my head, we're talking Greg Garza, Darlington Nagby, uh, Tim Parker, Aaron Long, you know, outside chance of seeing Sean Davis from Red Bulls in this camp, um, from Sporting KC, Beasler, and Zussi. I mean, they may be long shots at this point, but they're 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 at least somewhere in the conversation. And right, then, they're shots. Yeah. And then Toronto, we've got Altador still working back from injury. Michael Bradley and Marky Delgado. Nobody from Houston comes to mind, but that's I know that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot of 
that's a lot of names. Um, CCL starts on February 19, so that's 17 days after the Costa Rica friendly. But if all those players are released, you know, I'll just give a quick list here. Berhalter will have Guzan. Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention Brad Guzan. Yeah, Brad Guzan. Guzan, Reggie Cannon, Tim Parker, Aaron Long, Matt Beasler, Greg Garza, Jorge Villafania, Russell Knaus, Will Trapp, Christian Roldan, Darlington Nagby, Sebastian Legette, Corey Baird from Real Salt Lake, uh, maybe Aaron Lennon from Brooks Lennon. I'm sorry, not Aaron Lennon. (laughs) John Lennon. John Lennon. No. It was John. Jonathan Lennon. (laughs) Brooks Lennon. uh, Jazzy Zardis. Paul Ariola, Jeremy Abobase. Those all those names should be available. Now that's going to be Kellen, Kellen Acosta. Yes, yeah. Anybody else? Just to, just to name one, Efra Alvarez, <laughs> George Bello. No, I don't think that's going to happen. Probably, unfortunately. Uh, potentially, potentially the Scandinavians. You could get the Scandinavian guys. Uh, it's happened before. I think Mixed Discard came and played in his January camp. Um, but I don't think those clubs are obligated. It, some of them are having like a very short break before their season resumes or until their next season begins. Yeah. You know, minus if the Scandinavian trio is, isn't available, which I feel like it probably won't be, but maybe I'm wrong. This is going to be a list of names that doesn't inspire a lot of inspiration. You know, people are not, (laughs) people are not going to be thrilled with these call-ups, right? They won't be. Uh, the only So the only way I think you mitigate that, not that uh, Greg Berhalter should make his choices based on mitigating the uh, fan base's disappointment, but kind of, uh, <laughs> is, if it's, is if it's like a, a, in my mind, like a clear attempt to bring along the younger kids. So that means that if, if Bradley's there and even like Matt Beasler, if those guys are there, that would be fine with me as long as it's not all players who are like 26 and above. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? I, Reggie Cannon, I think, is a pretty obvious choice for, for sort of one of the 20-year-olds. But, but like you got to get like a Russell Knaus in there. If Knaus gets omitted, uh, they're like, I'm going to have some questions. If, uh, do, do you know what I mean? Like I feel like you, you want to um, – it doesn't have to be a straight U25 camp, but it seems like they should be – building using their old guys to help the new guy the young guys along yeah well building back from 2022 which is what Burhalter said and you know if he's going to do that you got to have canals there and then guzan you know guzan seems like he needs to be there just for continuity and because he's probably going to be he's going to be one of the top three goalkeepers come gold cup Oh yeah, I want Guzan there. I want Nick Armando there. Give me Nick Armando in this camp. Hmm. Has Nick Armando ever not been in a January camp since they've been since they've existed? I'm a Armando fan for sure. Well, bring in Luis no, Robles. I, I think it'll be I think it'll be like Guzan, Bill Hamid. Uh, I think Matt Matt Turner's probably like a younger goalkeeper who had a, a very good season statistically. Yeah, get him in there. Uh, well, no, it's the other... thin. It's it's weird how thin it is under twenty in MLS because all of the good under twenty players are in Europe. So right, right, and not not available even though they're playing for their youth or reserve teams. Uh, no, the other the other sort of wrinkle I could see 
uh, and I don't think anybody is really talking about these guys, is like one or maybe even two of like Benny Failhaber, Sasha Question, or Lee Wynn uh, to be in the January camp. Mm, I guess, yeah. Just because if you're not if you're not bringing in like unless you're bringing in Efra Alvarez, uh, you know, just like no I, playmakers at all. Yeah, so I, it's like you don't bring in some an old guy. You don't bring in, uh, and I'm not trying to be a, like picking on any of these guys. Uh, not that I have the standing to pick on a professional soccer player, but like, uh, uh, you know, like if Dom Dwyer gets called in uh, at age 26, is that Dwyer is? And he's clearly like fifth or sixth choice in the entire pool. Like, don't call in a 26-year-old who's sixth choice who isn't sort of offering you anything else. Like, he's not – you don't need Dom Dwyer to help the younger forwards in camp along because you've – you know, if Giazzi Zardes can serve that role or Greg Berhalter will be mentoring them. Um, But Benny and Sasha and Lee Wynn are kind of potentially still the best playmakers in the entire pool, uh, which isn't ideal, but – they could no one else can like really do that role and so they might just be placeholders until someone better comes along yeah i guess i'm kind of open to anything is what is what i'm realizing as we're talking about it um it's just going to be you know the the pool can the pool's going to be reimagined by burhalter and uh there could be a lot of ways it it goes it would be nice if you were a little bit experimental Maybe call, a lot experimental. A lot. I mean, I don't know how experimental you can be with what's available, but uh, Bello and Chris Durkin come to mind just to see how they stack up. I don't. See, yeah. I don't see what it hurts to bring them in. Uh, Mackenzie or Mackenzie Trusty, like Glad. I mean, yeah. In, at center back, uh, I think a Bobby and Baird would sort of count as experimental guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right, that's what we want for January. That that get us a little bit interested in January. Let me uh, let, at risk of getting bogged down. Let me ask one more question about January. <laughs> uh, what? So, like, what is he trying to accomplish? You know, like, g- given that so many of the first choice players are not available, or even the potentially first choice players for twenty twenty two are not available. What? What can he? What could be a successful camp? So, I mean, two weeks or three weeks, where whatever he's going to, even if it's just two weeks, that's almost that's an eternity to work together as a national team. Uh, so the time can't be wasted. So if nothing else, if you get Reggie Cannon and Brad Guzan and Jorge Vif, you could be introducing George Bello to the Greg Berhalter system to your principles, which he said are simple. Uh, which means for me, that means they're very consistent. He consistently plays with these principles, um, but it still takes time to drill them into a group. So if you can get five or six guys who are going to end up being key players or have the potential to be key players by 2021 uh, into your system, that's work that you, that that's work you don't have to do with them uh, in March or in June or in, uh, January of 2020 or 20, you know what I mean? So I think you, mm. you have to get these pieces in place. Uh, you have to, everyone has to end up up to speed on Burhalter system. And you have a chance to do that with seven or eight, maybe 10 guys who will end up being meaningful players for you over the long run. Which bodes well for Will Trapp because he's going to be, he's going to be the ambassador for, uh, 
for Berhalder's system to the rest of the player pool come March, you would think, or he will be one of them. Yeah, and by all accounts, he's a, he's a really good like uh, leadership guy. So that's this is going to be sort of his time to shine, and, and and it might not be in the way he plays, but hopefully we see it in the way that uh, Kellen Acosta takes to the new system, or Russell Knaus takes to the new system, uh, or you know, I mean, so mm-hmm. Chris Durkin. So that's that's what his hopefully that's what Trap's benefit is, and then hopefully those guys begin to overshadow him quickly and take his spot from him, and Trap will sort of step aside because Trap seems like the kind of guy who would do whatever's best for the team. Uh, okay. So yeah, so that's that's what kind of what I'm hoping for from January. Okay. Let's move right along. MLS Cup, right. Atlanta United FC are the champions. They won two to zero on Saturday over Portland. At Mercedes-Benz Stadium, not a lovely game of soccer, I don't think, but you don't need us to break down the game. What a scene. What a scene for American soccer. 73,000 fans. Atlanta, yeah, it Georgia. Quite, it was quite the spectacle. It was it was great television, uh, aside from the now often repeated uh, complaints about the, the zoom of the camera, which I completely agree with. It yeah. was tough to make out all the different tactical nuances of a game when you can only see the the point guard and the person defending him. <laughs> right, just the, you could only see the pitcher and the batter and the catcher. <laughs> yeah, I do wonder. Just a quick aside on that, I do wonder if the the rationale for that sort of camera work is that's the way to appeal to the casual, the casual soccer viewer, to emphasize people and personalities and individual moments over sort of the tactical cam but uh so so the idea being get as close as possible without actually causing whiplash for your viewers at home you just give me jeff lorenowich's nose hair <laughs> but it was if it was a big time it was a big time scene man you could feel the you could feel the barometric pressure in the stadium rise and fall every time atlanta broke forward it was really cool to see uh, and in, yeah, it, and you definitely have to say every time Atlanta broke forward because Portland really didn't break forward very often. Yeah, they were. Atlanta was the deserved, deserved winner for sure. And it's cool to see that because uh, it's an example of an ambitious owner who went for it and then got the trophy. I know the owner is not supposed to be the first person to lift the trophy. That's sort of uh, taboo, but you know. Hard to hard to be too mad at Arthur Blank for that. And then um, it looks like Miguel Almiron and maybe others will be moved along in the offseason as MLS becomes, in the words of Don Garber, a selling league. Hopefully at a profit for Atlanta. Just seems like a good thing, good good day all around for American soccer to see Atlanta win it. Don't you think? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So not only do they win it and, and the most likely out outcome not outcome of the game but the most likely following uh outcome following game is almiron will move uh but then pity martinez it seems like by all accounts is coming in uh and that's exactly what the model should be you sell one star you bring in another one uh to be sold again later yeah and you just repeat over and over again it's just it's kind of crazy that pity martinez goes and plays in the copa libertadores uh, final in Real scores. Madrid. Yeah, in Madrid scores a goal, and then uh, post game interview, he says he's going to Atlanta. So, kind of weird, weird times. 
Exactly. So we're we can be a destination league and a selling league. Yeah. They're not mutually exclusive. And I I think just the rise of Atlanta as a soccer city is is really important. It's such a you know outside of the big cultural centers in America, New York, Los Angeles, you know maybe San Francisco and Chicago. Atlanta's Atlanta's right there. It's a it's a culture making metropolis in American life today. It's the it's the capital of Black America. It's uh, it's an important city, and to see soccer really take hold there can only be positive, I think, for the long term. So I'm glad of that. I I I mapped out where the the youth national team players are coming from in the in the last in the in the current cycle, the U17s and the U20s, and you can see that it's very clearly at this point. The players are coming from the New York area, Los Angeles area, and sort of the southeast. Those are the those are the hot spots. And then, you know, like one or two guys from the Midwest, one or two guys from the Northwest, uh, one or two guys from Texas. But the Southeast is becoming an important place in Americans. Yeah, for sure. I wanted to bells, I wanted to overlay like a climate map over the over over your maps to see if if it coincides with all the places where you can like play soccer year round outside conveniently. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's gotta be a factor. No doubt. That's the only thing holding back Des Moines, Iowa from being on your map bells is yeah. our, is we're, our winters. We're, we're counting on you, Greg, get those, get those kids, uh, moving the ball around, possessing the ball, disorganizing their opponents. Um, next thing. Uh, the dark side of MLS Cup was one player was missing from the celebrations for Atlanta. Notoriously absent. Conspicuously absent. He wasn't – they didn't even read his name off at the parade earlier today. They conspicuously today. didn't read his name off at the parade. <laughs> it was so conspicuous. Andrew Carlton, he violated club policy apparently by partying the night before the final and Snapchatting about it, whatever the details may be, and they are – admittedly foggy he ran afoul of his club and it's a fitting end to a disappointing year for him um he's a potential filled but inconsistent playmaker and i guess my only hope is that he takes this as a wake-up call a damascus road moment arthur blank appearing in a flash of light like the angel of the lord and converting carlton to the one true way of discipline and single-minded pursuit of soccer ball excellence Hopefully he shows up. Hopefully he shows. Not, not touching that. I'm not touching hopefully, it. Hopefully he shows up to training camp with a buzz cut and five five extra pounds of muscle. You think he's you think he's going to be at Atlanta's training camp in February, or do you think he is on his way out? No idea. No idea. Because man, that, leaving the guy's name out of the roll call uh, that is a harsh that is a harsh sentence. Like uh, <laughs> that seems like something you don't come back from 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 a relationship standpoint like he's got to be gone it must have, yeah i mean it seems really bad i don't know i don't know what the deal is yeah that's very much like a you're dead to us moment uh i don't know i mean or or i'm just reading way too much into it and they just misread the teleprompter <laughs> seems unlikely seems unlikely <laughs> so it's so it's bad it seems like it's bad um we'll see what's what happens with him not 
you know, not putting a lot of a hope in him. I think 12 months ago, I was much more confident that he would be a national team player someday than I am right now. And that would, I would have said that even before this whole uh, disciplinary snafu. Well, I mean, I'm here to always try to be the the optimistic pessimist and, and say that, well, that's true that you, you probably are a lot farther down on Carlton than you were. Uh, a lot of other guys have surpassed i mean your your excitement level for other guys has i'm sure jumped leaped and bounds tim way richie ledesma uh nothing depends on andrew carlton coming good nope I think specifically we got, we got specifically plenty. andrew carlton right we got plenty of uh we got plenty to be excited about we'll get to that in a minute so the the that marks the end of the soccer calendar for u.s soccer lots to look forward to in the spring i realized uh saturday night how excited i am about everything that's going to happen in the first couple months of the year. So many rosters to pick over. <laughs> so many dates of birth to look up. <laughs> who are you most who are you most excited about? Well, I'm most excited to watch Seattle Sounders too and, you know, some of the other some of the other USL sides that are going to have uh, US eligible players on them. But just a quick rundown after the friendlies, after the USMNT friendlies, two weeks later, CONCACAF Champions League kicks off. And then by that point, MLS preseason will be in full swing. The USL Championship will start in early March. And the USL Championship is basically the USL. And then USL League One, which is the third division of American soccer now, will kick off in late March. Uh, one team worth mentioning there is North Texas SC, which is the, the long-awaited FC Dallas USL affiliate. They'll play in League One, and they announced last week that they signed Ricardo Pepe, the 15-year-old striker who impressed me with the USU 17s at the Nike Friendlies. So that'll be one player to set the DVR for. But just want to mention that there's a lot of good stuff coming down the pike. Well, it seems like an eternity away after the busy four weeks we've just kind of had yeah u20 concacaf championship two very very bad senior team friendlies and <laughs> u17 women's world cup and uh, i mean there's just been a lot and the u17 yeah, and the, friendlies the i mean in all like that bundesliga is going to kind of go go silent for a month and that's where almost all of our most exciting players are Speaking of which, I guess we'll, we'll just have to like spend time with our families over the holidays. Yeah, put our phones down. Speaking of the Bundesliga, probably the most exciting thing that happened this weekend in American soccer is what, Greg? Uh, Josh Sargent, Sergeant Watch finally came to an end after 18 and a half weeks. It was almost a full year, right? Almost a full calendar year since he moved to Bremen, moved in January. Yeah, 10, 10 plus months, almost 11 months, yep. The wait is over. Came in in the 76th minute, scored in the 78th minute on his very first grown-up touch. It's crazy. Yeah. It was a it was a wonder strike. It, <laughs> it was an unbelievable goal. No, it was a How did the goal happen, Greg? It was a wonder strike in our hearts. It was uh like a loopy like a nice driven cross in from the left flank. Uh Sergeant went for the first ball, but it was well out of his reach, probably 2 feet over his head. Um, but the back post runner who you'll have to tell me who it was, Martin Harnick. Uh, okay. Martin Harnick, uh, does get to it and just like hits it straight at the goalkeeper who's come out and close the angle down and 
keeper makes like a jumping block, hits off the keeper's shoulder, loops four feet in, uh, in the air, keeper's on the ground. Josh Sargent is just standing all by himself on the goal line. The ball falls directly onto his head and into the goal. Yeah, probably was going in anyway, but he <laughs> yeah. he made the he made the right choice to make sure. Um, and and then you know I would I would say I liked after that, which was enough to sort of satisfy all of us. He I, I think he played pretty well. He he uh, he made one bad pass that I noticed. Otherwise, looked really calm and assured on the ball. I like the way he moves off the ball. Always have. Always will. <laughs> he had and he had a moment in the 90th minute where he collected a ball in his own half and then stepped on it to really slow down the play. I thought that was that demonstrated some intelligence, some on the on the spot thinking that I that I liked. And I and I should mention he didn't over celebrate the goal, which was you know it was the definition of a sitter. Uh, he went immediately after the goal to to help his teammate up look like Harnick was maybe, maybe hurt after a collision with the goalkeeper. And then he smiled with his teammates and pumped his fist at the crowd in sort of a collective celebratory way. So at least he didn't, you know, he didn't score the goal and then go like running to the corner flag and slide to his knees. <laughs> he didn't point at his wrist saying what took so long. to, to put into the game. No, he was, no, it was it's it's awesome. It's uh there's like a, there's nothing that will take away from what a great moment that must be to literally score the first almost instant you step on the field for your uh senior team debut. Uh although he's he's familiar with it after doing the same thing for the US and his basically every other team he's appeared on yeah. since he started playing soccer. I, I didn't realize that I saw a tweet from DMV Soccer that he he scored in his U17 debut, his U20 debut, his senior national team debut and now his his Werder Bremen debut. It's pretty um he's a he's a man of destiny. I think it's fair to say. <laughs> so, that's awesome. I want to make sure we're not uh like it like again trying to use it to set our hype like our hype is already pretty high on Josh Sargent, I would say, and it's based on the on what we've seen from him in the U.S. games, plus, uh, you know, a few other factors. But we shouldn't take this to mean that he is now locked into uh, Warder Bremen's first team. Like he might, he was, he was in there because Bremen was short on first players, right? It's not like he was chosen over the guys who had been chosen ahead of him. Is that fair? Yeah, I think Osaka was hurt or was like not quite back from a knock. That's a striker who's been definitely ahead of him in the depth chart. Um, yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised if he spends most of next spring with the U twenty threes again. You know, it wouldn't be yeah. any surprise. And th- my one quibble with the way he played is he looked a step behind in the press. A couple times he was the weak link as the front five tried to shut down all the uh, openings for Dusseldorf. So he'll have to get better at that. Have to calibrate his timing on that before he, you know, before he's in the mix for challenging for a starting spot. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not trying to wet blanket the whole thing. Cause again, well, you um, kind of are, you kind of are <laughs> per, like perfect, perfect moment for him. Uh, perfect debut. Uh, but we don't get your hopes up or like, don't get furious when next week he's not in the roster again, or he is, but he's an unused sub or, you know, like that's that's just going to be the way of these things, uh, 
And even what for is, me, it's going to be, there's a gap between the head and the heart, you know, like my, in my head, I'll be like, of course he's not going to definitely be in the 18 from here on out. But when I see him not in the 18 next weekend, assuming that happens, it's still going to be disappointing. Sure. No, I just, we've had, we've had the Tim way, uh, roller coaster already where starting in the first two games of the season and scoring goals, uh, and then not a, not a look since. So like we kind of should be well, well trained for these situations. Um, but obviously we're not, we are, we are going to let our, uh, we are going to let ourselves get carried away. And Josh Sargent is the, the starting captain of the 2022 U.S. men's national team. You bet he is. I, and I will say, I think, I think Sargent is a better player than Tim Weah right now. And that's just my opinion. And, I, and also, uh, Verda Bremen is nowhere near what PSG is in terms of talent ahead of Sargent. So I don't think it'll, I don't think we should expect it to play out the same way it did with Weah. I think it, I think it'll play out a little different right. than that, but. Why you got to do Werder Bremen like that, Bells? They're not they're not an ambitious club trying to trying to make it in this world. They're just trying to not get relegated and see if they can nick a spot in the Europa League, man. That's where they are. All right, I guess there are loftier goals than that. Okay, well, PSG uh, has Kylian Mbappe and Neymar who play Tim Weah's position. Anyway, they play three forwards. All right. Excellent, excellent day for Josh Sargent and the U.S. Uh, fan base. Uh, and that was on Friday. And then Saturday and Sunday were less excellent days for the U.S. fan base. Yeah, really bad. We'll start with the like less less bad news, which is that Wes McKenney started and went 90 for Schalke in the Revier Derby. The the true classico, classico in Germany between Schalke and Dortmund, not this made-up marketing ploy of the Dortmund Bayern game. Uh, McKinney played striker, which, you know, he's not, he, he did some okay things. He did some bad things. He's just not comfortable in that position. I don't think. And he looked predictably sort of clumsy at points. The best that can be said, uh, I guess is, is that he's really learning about the whole field. That's, that's gotta be positive, right? We're, yeah, we're reaching, uh, I mean, he he was fiery, like he was fired up for it. He was going after people, and he was working his. I mean, he was putting in the proverbial shift. Um, but yeah, he's playing a striker in like a four four two diamond. Uh, he's never gonna. It's, it's really hard to. No, it, no one really did for you know. I mean, they looked like they were battling. That's that was the best that could be said of of Schalke is that they were battling. They didn't get dominated, but they it, they couldn't really they couldn't really put anything together going at Dortmund's goal. Yeah, it was actually it was actually a very Portland versus Atlanta United performance where they were they really were putting in the shift. Everyone was. Uh, they just didn't look like they were ever going to have the class to do it. Right. Is that harsh on Portland? Is that too harsh on Portland? No, I don't think Portland. I don't think Portland. I think it's very. It's an apt comparison. On the on the other side of the field, Pulisic came on late for a five minute cameo. The man he replaced, Jaden Sancho, had scored the winner. And uh, you know that's that's sort of Pulisic, the Pulisic Sancho situation in a nutshell. It's now clear that Pulisic will be on the bench for Dortmund in their most important games, uh, at least for the time being. 
Fortunately, they have a lot of important games ahead, so he should get plenty of minutes, including tomorrow against Monaco in the Champions League. Anything else from this game? Yeah, so, well, first off, Haji Wright, um, we were we were, we were had our hopes up that Haji Wright was going to now be the new Schalke starting forward. Uh, <laughs> we did not. not we did case. not have our hopes up for that. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, but it was really cool that Haji Wright started in Schalke's prior league game. Haji Wright did not make the 18 uh, of this game. It was it was thought that perhaps it was due to a minor injury, uh, but then Haji Wright went 90 minutes the very next day for the U20 for their Schalke twos. Uh, it seems like Haji Wright simply didn't make the grade and is not in the plans for Schalke for for this uh, the rest of this campaign. I don't know if I can say the rest of the campaign, but uh, he doesn't fit their immediate needs. Yeah, I would say that's that's a nice way to put it. Uh, Tedesco came out today and said that they're calling up a couple of U19 strikers because they're in like they're at a real striker deficit, and you know Haji just doesn't. What does he not do well? He doesn't he doesn't move off the ball well. I think that maybe that's the main thing. I mean his touch isn't very good. Uh that's another thing. But when he's out there, he's just jogging around. He's jogging around next to a center back. It's he's the easiest mark in the on the European continent. It's uh <laughs> it's not good enough and it's weird that he got to play at all, to be honest. So here we are. All right. Well, give me a, give me ten seconds on the Christian Pulisic uh, situation. Then I think you you said it best when you said they have a lot of important games ahead. It's it's one thing to recognize that Pulisic is no longer going to be first choice in their you know most difficult games, of which there are only a couple. That's Bayern Munich. That's Champions League knockout games when they get into them. But every game Dortmund plays is important because they're trying to win the league. So this isn't just Dortmund being like, well, we're not going to get relegated, so our league games are no longer important. They're, what, 20-odd games into the season uh, overall, and I think they've lost one game this season. So one loss between Champions League, German Cup, German League, Bundesliga. Uh, every game they're playing is an important game, uh, and Pulisic is a big part of that. I mean, he's playing 90 minutes a week, whether it's whether they do it strategically so that Sancho is available for the game they think is most important that week or not, Pulisic is involved in important games. Their second most important game of a week is still an important game. So it's just kind of like, yeah, Pulisic is behind Jaden Sancho. It's okay. Like, who's not okay with that? Jaden Sancho is a very good player, and everything that Pulisic is doing is an important part of Borussia Dortmund potentially winning the Bundesliga. Like, that's a pretty good place for a 20-year-old American to be. Yeah, no disagreement. I guess I, I, I put it in much, much more dire terms than that. <laughs> well, that's, that's, I just want there just seems to be a, a certain segment that has this, like, dire notion of all is lost because Pulisic is second choice. It's like, no, it's fine that he's second choice, but it's fine that he's second choice. Uh, as long as he's not second choice for middling Bournemouth, then, then I'm okay. Okay. All right, so the so the so the Schalke Dortmund derby wasn't wasn't so bad. I mean, we our Haji Wright priors were were uh <laughs> confirmed. Wes McKinney was played out of position, but you know, acquitted himself admirably and uh Pulisic is second choice to Sancho and that's not a big deal. 
Moving to England, DeAndre Yedlin had a terrible game against Wolverhampton Wolves in a 2-1 loss. He was once again involved in a miscommunication on the back post that a guy sort of got lost between him and the center back and scored the opener for Wolverhampton. And then Yedlin gave the ball away with a terrible touch. I don't know. Did you see, did you see the highlight on that? I have. Nope, I haven't. Yeah, it's really bad. It was really bad. It was a very innocuous situation. Just took a clumsy touch and gave the ball away to a, a guy who was in on goal. He pulled him down from behind and earned a red card. This was right around the hour mark. The game was even at 1-1 at the time. And then Newcastle held on with 10 men all the way to stoppage time under a pretty severe assault. And then... Uh, Wolverhampton scored in the in stoppage time for the win. So I, Yedlin has demonstrated remarkable resiliency in the starting eleven for Rafa Benitez. So I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet that his his starting job is is in doubt or uh, under threat. But not great, not a great weekend for him. Yeah, and it's almost like there's really only there's only. There's only a couple ways it can go. It's like he's either showcasing himself to be so good that he's going to get bought, poached by a big club or he's just going to be at the caliber of Newcastle who's sort of uh, bottom half Premier League slash all guaranteed promotion out of the championship if they ever move down. And it certainly seems like he's not going to be the first thing where where he's going to get picked off by Spurs. Spurs are going to buy him back or Liverpool want him as, a, as their new right back or right back depth. Like it doesn't seem like Yedlin's moving that direction. No, he's not. The rest of the European pool mostly spent the weekend either losing or not playing or getting subbed on late. We'll just go through these quickly. Eric Palmer Brown was back on the bench for Nack Breda as they won, got a much needed win. Uh, CCV came off the bench for Swansea and immediately got a yellow card but helped close out a 3 2 win. Julian Green's Groither Firth were, how do you? Want to put this? Oh, man, they were bludgeoned to a Grizzly 5-0 death. Yeah, and Green, I think, was subbed off somewhere in the 50th minute range. Yeah, it looked like he was subbed off when it was still 2-0, and then it went downhill for first after that. Yeah, his his, his defensive prowess was greatly missed in the middle of the pitch. <laughs> um, Emmanuel Sabi hasn't registered a goal or an, or an assist since the first day of September. He's now gone 676 minutes without scoring. The The only bright spot really uh, among the sort of full-on professional contingent was Shaq Moore, who earned his second straight start at CF Royce at right back, and they got a 1-0 win in Spain's second division. Uh, I didn't notice anything from him, good or bad, in the highlights. But they got the win, and he went 90. So that's good news for him. Second straight start. All right, so where do we have to go for our good news? We have to go down in age. There's some some news that's happened since we last recorded. The Tyler Adams to RB Leipzig move is official. Got any quick thoughts on that? Uh, no, that's going to be. I mean, we just are going to all be watching that very closely because uh, I have I still have like an outside hope that he's going to go in and immediately be too good to keep off of the field, too too valuable to keep off of the field. So. I'd love if Tyler Adams goes in and is in the first 11 he's eligible for. Keep your fingers crossed, America. 
it's it can... that's that's happened before. We have we have a precedent for something like that, which is when Landon Donovan used to go over to Everton in January for like two month loans, uh, and no one was sure how that was going to go, and he was he was just made an immediate impact for Everton. So I, I'm hopeful Adams can do something similar. I remember that. Yeah, that's I remember those days. That was that was fun to watch him score goals in the Premier League. Sergino Dest signed a pro contract with Ajax on Monday. Now that's important because it means he's legally cleared to play first team soccer for them. That may not happen anytime soon because Ajax has plenty of good right backs, but the legal path is open. And as we've talked about in past episodes, he's, he's really been on a great run of form lately. He looks, he looks every bit the right back of the future. Yeah, and just like that, our Andrew Carlton optimism has shifted over to Serginho Dest. Yep. That's really good news. So another uh, other good news, a report from Ives Galarsip uh, that Chris Richards will move to Bayern Munich for $1.25 million. He's on loan there. We always knew there was a, a lo- it was a loan with a, a buy option on it. And it looks like the, the buy – option is going to be exercised. So that's positive. It'd be interesting to see if Richards goes on loan in January or, or what, because unless Bayern's U19s have some sort of miracle uh, reverse Kuva type scenario this week, they're, they're knocked out of the UEFA Youth League. So it would just be Bundesliga U19 matches, which maybe he, uh, maybe Bayern thinks he needs another three months of that. Maybe they think he should go play for a second division German side for, for the spring. I don't know. Is he just going to rule out that he's going to make the first team in January? I am kind of going to rule that out. Yeah. But who knows? Boring. Okay. Fine. <laughs> well, are you going to rule it in? Go ahead and rule it in. <laughs> well, because they're, they're, they're going to be out of contention for the league. So they're just going to, they're going to have a bunch of dead rubber games to play them in. Oh man. They do not believe that they're going to be out of contention for the league. <laughs> You think you think Dortmund's going to win the Bundesliga? I do. I think Dortmund. I think Dortmund. I think Jaden Sancho carries them. Now they have. I mean, it's a big deal to go from uh, like Christian Pulisic being your must-win outside, like a winger, to being Jaden Sancho's now a better version of him for your must-win games, and Christian Pulisic is there for your uh, sort of second-tier games. Like that's a really big improvement. Yeah, they. They they do look good, and I would say the thing about Dortmund that's so impressive to me is their center backs. That's where they've really upgraded. I mean, in addition to Sancho and Al Al Alcacer, uh, their center back their center back pairings are just so much stronger than they were last year. That that makes a lot of difference. Anyway, nobody listens to me for Dortmund analysis. Um, <laughs> Taylor Taylor Twelman said on I think on one of those MLS shows that he's heard there will be 20 Christian Pulisic's in Europe by 2020. And, you know, that's kind of been your point for several months now that we just got to, you know, we throw enough players at the wall and we're going to get, we're going to get several that are playing first team minutes. I don't think Twelman meant that there are going to be 20 players of Pulisic's caliber. So not 20 uh, players who are sort of at Christian Pulisic's current caliber, kind of just like 20 players who are in the, in the situation Pulisic was in three years ago, where they have the opportunity to play them, their, themselves into uh, legitimate European clubs. 
Yeah, maybe I'm being charitable to Twelman, but I, I think that he meant the latter, not the former. We referred to it as sort of that wave of Americans crashing, crashing over Europe. And I think what's different now than in the past, and we've kind of discussed why that might be different, is they all have much higher ceilings. And that has been, in my mind, a systematic change in the way we've developed players, where uh, it's, it's always a numbers game to some extent. But I think the U.S.'s previous development structure put a much lower ceiling on our players. Now these guys have uh, Christian Pulisic height ceilings. Yeah. So let's just go through it. I mean, are we going to get to 20 Christian Pulisic's by that definition by 2020? Uh, we've got Pulisic, so he counts as one. Wes McKenney, two. That's one Christian Pulisic. Yeah. Wes McKenney's number two. Josh Sargent now has made his Bundesliga debut, so I think he's made that step. Tim Weah. Uh, I think Jonathan Amon maybe a little bit more of a stretch because yep. he's playing in Denmark, but, you know. Yep. Then Tyler Adams. So that's five, at least. If you give me Amon, that's six. I'm giving you Amon, for sure. Okay. And then underneath... Eamon, Eamon's a dynamic 18-year-old player. He's in. He's not 18. How old is he? He's 19 now. 19. Okay, he's in. And then underneath them, you've got uh, a bunch of hopefuls. Richards, Dest, Mendez, Ledesma, hopefully headed to PSV, Sebastian Soto, Chris Gloucester, uh, maybe Ulysses Yanez, Blaine Ferry at Greuther Firth, uh, Taylor Booth, Ian Hoffman. Booth is at Bayern. Ian Hoffman is at uh, Karlsruhe. And, you know, I'm probably missing some. There are others. Isaiah Young. Um, so another 10 hopefuls there. What's the next category? Well, you have other, these other guys who, who are like, hopefully going to be hopefuls. And I think, so Isaiah Young kind of fits in that Zion to Taguay, uh, even Conrad De La Fuente and, uh, who else is at IX? Joshua, Isn't there another 17 year old IX? Pinadath, Pinadath. Yeah. Yes. So you have all these guys who are. I mean, in the past, it'd be those would be, be we had like a pool six sort of in that category, uh, and even before we really just haven't had the wealth of players even in that category that could fly under the radar um, the way these guys can because so much of the attention is on pool six and McKenney and Adams and Sargent. So now you have all these guys like even a Haji right now can sort of just start for uh, a Bundesliga team and then instantly sort of not be in the discussion anymore. Because we don't have to put all of our hopes on Haji Wright. We have 20 Christian six. Yeah. So things are looking good, man. 20 is very much within sight. And that's not even counting the sort of MLS contingent that may or may not end up performing and heading to Europe like Bello and Joe Scali and Damian Loss. Dare, Gio Reyna. Right. Gio Reyna. Dare I still say Andrew Carlton. He might be saying it a lot sooner than you thought. Maybe he's going to go to um, Malmo or something. <laughs> Speak it, let's move on. Speaking of Sweden. Speaking of Sweden. Group F. <laughs> group F of the Women's World Cup. The U.S. inevitably have Sweden in their group. I think it's six straight World Cups that we've been drawn with Sweden. It's, it's uncanny. So that's going to be so, – yeah. Sweden's going to be the toughest opponent in that group. Yes, uh, drawn with Sweden, Thailand, and Chile. 
Uh, Thailand could be a 10-goal game. Uh, Chile should be a, a bit of a cakewalk. And I know they'll all say they're World Cup group games. There's nothing guaranteed. Um, but these games aren't going to be these aren't these aren't good opponents. This is a the draw is a, an easy draw. Even Sweden, we're going to be much better than Sweden. Uh, I know they knocked us out of the Olympics uh, in 2016, but this is a very uh, different looking and different playing U.S. Women's National Team. Um, they are going to be prohibitive favorites to win the group. Okay, and then and then so sort of walk us through the rest of the tournament. The uh all the way to the final. All right. So, I mean, there's obviously variables here, but I'm just going to guarantee that the U.S. will win their group uh, and then will go on to play Spain in the round of 16. They're playing the Group B runner-up, so most likely Spain or Germany. Um, they'll beat that team, and then that will set up this incredible quarterfinal against France, who are hosts, in Paris. You have so tickets. Awesome. You have tickets too, right? I do. I already have tickets bought uh, for that uh, Paris. Uh, they call it the Paris Victory Package, and I assume they're referring to the U.S. as the victors there, not <laughs> not France. It's a reference to World uh, War II or something. <laughs> I don't know. So, so, uh, so pretty awesome. I mean, it's just it's just an incredible. There's going to be a lot of amazing narratives for this uh, tournament. Um, once we get past France, we're looking at the semifinal versus most likely Japan or England, which would be the Group D winner, uh, which would be either of those matchups would be incredible. And then the final, I'm just going to say, is going to be against Australia because as far as I'm concerned, Australia is going to get to the final. Okay. That's the World Cup path for the U.S. women. Mark it down. Yeah, anything less than, a, than another trophy will be a disappointment. I think, it's, I think what I'm hearing from you is that is the case. Oh, it for sure would be disappointing. It's not like any of these were unbeatable compared to uh, France or Australia or England or Japan, but we are good enough that we will think we should win it. Okay. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We will be back next week with a cold-eyed episode where we revisit our worst-case scenarios for the player pool that we that we articulated in August. And then I'm thinking we may take a couple weeks off for Christmas. Greg, we have to decide whether we're going to do that or not. Uh, not 100% sure, but that's what I'm thinking. Please rate, review, and tell your family and friends about this podcast. We would appreciate that very much. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you.